0: I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Percipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. On today's episode, we're talking to Sonia Ebron and Maya Markovich about Courtroom 5. That's an app that's working towards bridging the access to justice gap for pro se litigants. And it is also quite likely the only legal tech company out there named after a hip-hop song. On today's show, we've got a two-for-one. We've got two guests. They're both affiliated with a legal tech startup called Courtroom 5. Sonia Ebron is the company's founder. She joins us along with Maya Markovich, who is on the company's advisory board. Sonia launched Courtroom 5 a few years ago as a platform to help pro se litigants with their civil claims. The app has three components, a section where people can go to learn about the nuts and bolts of the litigation process. It also has a section where they can do legal research and figure out what claims they should make or what defenses they should assert. And then finally, there's a module that helps people create and file pleadings with the courts. Supervising all of this is an AI component called Sylvia. Sonia is not a lawyer. In fact, she's got a PhD in electrical engineering, and she taught an engineering class for a while. So how does an engineer decide they want to create a legal tech company? As we will hear, Sonia had to represent herself in court a couple times and learn pretty quickly, it ain't easy to deal with a lawsuit if you don't have a lawyer. So she decided to do something about it and created Courtroom 5. Maya Markovich is a lawyer and works with Denton's Next Law Labs. That's the law firm's group that focuses on innovating the way they deliver their legal services. Maya got to know Sonia in courtroom five when the company participated in Duke Law School's law tech incubator program. Maya was hooked on the concept and she gladly joined the board when she was asked by Sonia. We're going to pick up today's conversation with Sonia telling us why she decided to launch a legal tech app.
1: I was uh, found myself in court having to represent myself uh, and got beat up a good bit. By lawyers on the other side, and realized that um, uh, there needed to be a solution for people who weren't able to afford lawyers. I had a middle class income, but just couldn't afford the uh, what would have been twenty, thirty, maybe forty thousand dollars to get legal representation. And so, yeah, you know, I figured it out. It helps to have a good education, right? There's a pattern to everything, and I had a background in recognizing patterns. Unfortunately, I had repeated situations like that where I had to represent myself, and so over time. I sort of felt like I saw a way to navigate the system that uh, most people hadn't recognized unless they were, had a legal
0: background. Now, did the litigation you found yourself in and the legal tangles that you found yourself in, did they relate to your electrical engineering background or was it unrelated? Not at all. Not at all.
1: Uh, they related to just being a black woman in America, frankly. So I had some predatory loans I had to fight back. You know, just situations. There were folks I had to sue when they uh, screwed me over for one reason or another. Uh, And yeah, so I just found myself in court. The strange thing uh, is, well, I guess not so strange once you think about it. Uh, Many of the people I saw in court without a lawyer were uh, disproportionately black and brown and and female, at least on the civil side. And so, you know, it's just one of those um, demographic issues we have to deal with in the U.S.
0: At what point during these these pieces of litigation, did you go from being a litigant to saying, hey, you know what? This is hard. You know, it's, it's hard for the unrepresented. What was your aha moment when did you decide I'm going to make an app that people can use to help themselves represent themselves in court?
1: So, you know, I mean, I had a uh, traffic ticket that I fought decades ago, I think, and won uh, here in North Carolina. We had a, a seatbelt law that went into effect. I'm dating myself. We <laughs> do the research. Um, it's a while back. And, you know, so I fought that and I won. It was a traffic court, right? Just a really uh, simple sort of thing. But I actually beat the, uh, the ticket against me. I sat on a jury. I've uh, won and lost uh, a number of cases over the years. But I think the thing that was sort of broke the camel's back for me was we had an attempt to evict us illegally. We discovered we beat it. But It was really, really difficult. We actually lost an eviction court, just absolutely insane. And in many states, including the one we were in, you actually have to pay what's called a supersedious bond. You have to pay the amount of the judgment in order to get an eviction decision appeal. So we were able to do that and actually won uh, in real court, right? But we realized in in this particular uh, situation that the folks who were trying to kick us out didn't even own the house, Um, right? And that they had a practice of doing this. They had evicted like 400 people by the time they ran into us. Almost all of them were uh, successfully evicted, right? And so even though we won- If if they didn't own
0: the the, the unit-
1: They were a property management company.
0: Ah, Um, were they they the ones managing the company for the owner?
1: Correct. Correct. And in that state, you had to actually certify that you own the property. You couldn't be a property management company. You had to actually own it. Right. At any rate, we managed to get that thing dismissed. In real court, once we actually got to some civil procedure, right, and figured it out, we got the thing uh, dismissed. And then we decided that it was wrong what they were doing. Our landlord had been trying to kick us out for years by that time, and had actually hired this company for the express purpose of doing that. Right, there weren't any any real grounds for it beyond she hated us <laughs> and didn't and wanted to, you know, do something else with her property, which was which was fine. We could have worked that out. Long story short, though, we decided to actually sue the property management company to stop the practices that they were doing, right? They had kicked out so many people illegally, as it turned out. And we did not know how to manage that type of a case. We actually uh, filed, as I recall, a racketeering, a RICO Hmm. uh, case against them and some other folks that they were working with, right? great grounds. All the evidence was right there in the clerk's office. They had committed perjury 400 times, right? But we didn't know how to prosecute a claim was what it came down to and couldn't afford to get a lawyer to do it for us. And so had that case brutally dismissed, it was really painful to see that happen. And we just decided at that point, you know, Look, we've had a difficult story over many cases. And even though we were successful, ultimately, we didn't get kicked out, right? But we did get that case dismissed. And it was, in our opinion, unfair how the case was dismissed. And had we had legal representation, I mean, I've talked to uh, lawyers since then. Had we had some actual legal representation, we would have been able to, to succeed, I think, in that claim. But we didn't, we didn't understand procedures. We just got really beat up by serious lawyers on the other side and lost the case,
0: right? And so from that experience, that's when you say, I'm gonna create courtroom five.
1: Ultimately, yeah. I mean, so we had seen so many people being abused by the court system off of just thinking, you're dealing with the Judge Judy's type situation, you know, where you go to court, you tell the kindly judge the facts of the case and the judge makes a good decision, hopefully based on the law. Real litigation, as you all, uh, as you both know that, isn't like that. It's a long time before the facts actually matter, right? right? You have to work through, you know, rounds and rounds of procedure in order to get a hearing on the actual facts of the case. And so, you know, there is a pattern to these procedures. If you have the right information, you know how to navigate uh, the court system, you know how to deal with case law and so forth, you can actually get a hearing on those facts, But you have to know what questions to ask and you have to have a little uh, bit of technical help as we've determined to be able to get there. And so, you know, again, we faced a brutal loss and we just decided that's not going to be the end of the story here we can do something about this, maybe not in that particular matter for ourselves, but for the millions of other people who were facing similar circumstances and not able to get a hearing, we could help them change those stories. So that's ultimately what, um, uh, what brought us to developing courtroom five.
0: And what year was it that you started developing it in earnest? It went from idea to actual. you were taking steps to get the, the, the app created.
1: You're taxing my memory for sure, Chad. That's great. Uh, I think we lost that case. As I recall, we appealed it got a decision sometime in mid-2000s, as I recall. And it took us a couple of years to get over the grief and just the shock of having to deal with that before we started thinking we, we should do something about that. The first version of Courtroom 5 appeared online in 2017. So about four years ago. Okay, nothing. Uh, it's nothing, uh, it's nothing uh, compared to what we've been able to do with it since. Obviously, it's an iterative process that we've developed uh, based on a lot of customer feedback. But the first version of it, just trying to help people understand that litigation is a series of procedures, came uh, to fruition in 2017.
0: And you started your career, as we've already alluded to, you had the PhD in electrical engineering. You, you did work as an electrical engineer. You're a professor at some point, too. Has that background helped you as you've created a piece of technology?
1: Oh, I think so. Ultimately, I think what we have built is an ed tech Platform, A legal ed tech platform, right? And so both founders are educators. We've got the academic uh, experience. I'm an electrical engineer. I'm a co-founder uh, and wife of 20 years, is a, a PhD librarian and information scientist. And so I think my technical background, helped understand that there was a, a technical solution here. And also I've had a good bit of experience with artificial intelligence, with neural networks, that sort of thing. And so I understood that we could uh, use some of the patterns and the data that was available to, um, to help people find the right information, right? And so Deborah brought her information technology and architecture uh, to bear on the problem as well and being able to curate complex legal information, make it available and accessible to, uh, to lay people.
0: So Maya, you're an advisor. You also hold a law degree in an attorney, but you come from kind of a non-legal background too. You have a psychology degree. So two questions. I guess it's twofold. Let's start with the first one is how, if at all, has your psychology degree helped you in legal? And secondly, how do you come to find out about courtroom five? Well, let's see. With respect
2: to um, the behavioral science and psychology side of things, I would say that absolutely. It has helped me unbelievably well um, over the years. And in fact, only recently have I started to have conversations with people where it's not, it doesn't seem like two completely different threads of my career. And in fact, people are starting to realize how much behavioral science really impacts something which to me has been obvious all along. It's an industry based on people and, and professional services and you know clients and consumers. So I did that uh, for a while. I worked in change management, consulting and technology, then I practiced law for a while. went to law school. really my main goal in going to law school was to um, have a broader social impact. And so all along, that has been really like where my absolute passion lies. And then um, after that, I decided I didn't want to be a partner in a law firm. And so I jumped over to the legal tech side and I've done, um, you know, a lot of work in product management, product marketing, um, and then bringing it all together in an innovation role um, at Next Law Lab. Yeah. So, I mean, as, with respect to, you know, crossing paths with courtroom five and, and why I'm involved, I mean, five minutes with Sonia and I think you know why, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> you know, um, from my perspective at the intersection of law and technology, You know, and the massive changes that have happened in our industry since, you know, Labs was founded six years ago, there's obviously a lot of activity and focus on the big law side of things, including, of course, Denton's. You know, while this initial spike has produced a lot of potential benefit for certain types of legal practices, you know, the system itself is only in these very, very beginning nascent stages of examination as to how it can possibly become more centered on the user, the client, the person who's receiving legal services from an attorney. Right. So things like addressing the current gaps in legal education, bar admission, uh, continuing education, attrition, uh, diversity, archaic court systems, all these regulatory constraints. All these good conversations are finally starting to happen, but they're really facing an uphill battle. You know, thankfully, we have some really great voices focused on those issues. But, you know, in the meantime, we've still got this massive gap of between folks who have to wend their way through a legal system, which is set up for lawyers to run as a business not for the parties themselves, especially those without the ability to afford or desire to engage an attorney to assist them. So this is something, obviously, I feel very passionately about. I mean, I've known Sonia for several years, since I did a podcast for uh, the Duke uh, Legal Tech Incubator, and I've admired Courtroom 5's growth, and, and it's really very strong maintained focus on pro se litigants. So you know, at this point, even with all the focus on legal tech, transforming the industry for those who chose to embrace it, you know, there are still relatively few companies squarely focused on closing this access to justice gap as core to their business. Um, and so obviously that's why I was delighted to join the company's incredibly strong advisory board and be part of its growth.
0: We're going to get back to my conversation with Sonia and Maya in just a few minutes. And when we come back, Sonia's going to fill us in about how she came up with the name for the company. This podcast is brought to you by Precipient, a legal services company powered by technology.
2: Percipient helps legal teams tackle legal operations, electronic document review, and process automation. Percipient services include managed document review, subpoena compliance, cyber incident response, and also helps legal teams provide clients with process-driven legal support. To learn more, visit percipient.co.
0: Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. We're going to get back to my talk with Maya and Sonia in just a second. But wanted to let you know that if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you want to subscribe, you can pretty much find us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, at tlpodcast.com, we have a dedicated episode page for every episode we do. It's got more info about our guests and links to some of the stuff we talk about. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Sonia Ebron and Maya Markovich about Courtroom 5. And Sonia, you're in North Carolina. Maya just alluded to the Duke Incubator. You went through the program, right? Correct. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that experience. What you gained from it? How do you feel like you were a better company when you came out of it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, You know, Duke uh, Law has an incredible reputation, has for for many years. And we were just really excited to learn that they had a, a tech uh, incubator. As non-lawyers, it was really important for us to go and see some of the, the issues in the profession from profession's perspective. And I think Duke certainly introduced us to those issues. So we got to meet uh, folks like Maya, very, very uh, helpful. But in addition, regulators and uh, to hear some of uh, the challenges that they were having, you know, there's been a great deal of regulatory change. Product management. We met uh, folks at LexisNexis, for instance. They have a a major uh, product branch in Raleigh, North Carolina here. And just to understand some of the challenges that they were facing uh, and opportunities in legal tech as well. And so a number of um, speakers and advisors and mentors um, were presented to us, and we got to develop some great relationships from them.
0: It's a really wonderful experience. So when you started at the incubator, did you have something online? Did you have an app? Did you have any kind of tech, any kind of code?
1: Yes, absolutely. We'd been selling for oh, about a year and a half, I think, at that point. Again, very slowly just trying to find the right solution to the huge problem that we were trying to solve. Uh, so we did. We had something online. Again, nothing close to what uh, you might find available today. But certainly we were learning from uh, just huge uh, pro se uh, market and about these access to justice problems.
0: Where does the name come from, Courtroom 5?
1: <laughs> I always love that question. So Deborah and I had, um, when we saw that we were actually had a market opportunity here, we decided we needed to brand uh, the company. And in, in our office meetings, we also always have some music going in the background, a little bit of music. Uh, and so, what kind of music? Just, what
0: kind of music? What are you it, listening to?
1: It's it's very broad. We have eclectic taste. But that particular day, we were listening to Looney's um, I Got Five on it. Uh, it's, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been featured in a movie, as I, as I recall, since then. It's about uh, some guys trying to buy a dime bag of weed, as it turned out. And the, the singer is saying, Well, I got five on that. That's in the background, low key. We were tossing love around it. a couple of uh, ideas. And Deborah at one point said, you know, we could call this courtroom anything. And at that point, the, the chorus came on. I got five on it. And I so we it. looked at each other and said, let's just put five on it. It's Ooh, so you funny. got more
0: than five on it now. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, that, that's that's what I've done 50 plus episodes. That's one of the best stories.
2: That's awesome. Actually, Sonia, I'm really glad to have heard that because I didn't know that. And, you know, they're from Oakland. So
0: it was me, right? <laughs> That's right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> that is, exactly. It's it's coming great.
0: full circle. It's coming full circle. Oakland, from North Carolina to Oakland. I love it. We
1: prioritize having a good time. That's <laughs> the <truth>. sure. <laughs>
0: I want to get into the nuts and bolts of what you did to create the company, but before we get there, let's let's talk about the product itself. As before, we hopped on. I, Sonia told you I, this week I signed up for an account, messed around on it, made some pleadings, created a case. I really like how it's set up. I think it's very intuitive, and I think for a pro se litigant, even for lawyers, it's, it's well organized. And I liked it. It's basically broken down into four components. You got your counts where you look for you know the legal arguments or the types of claims you're going to make. Then you go look for the law. There's a law component where you find the authority to support what you're trying to do. Uh, Then there's documents where you create your pleadings and various other stuff that you need for a lawsuit. Then there's also an education. I don't know if it's a module per se, but all along this process, there's a lot of education, a lot of videos, a lot of how-tos and explaining what this stuff is in court. Then there's also Sylvia. So did I I capture all – the, the I think, different modules, right?
1: I, I think you you captured it very well. Thank you for taking, taking a, a deep dive there. That's fantastic.
0: So, so let's talk about Sylvia. Let's start with Sylvia. Who is she? Uh,
1: so Sylvia is our uh, artificial intelligence bot. Her job is to sort of point the user in the right direction. So you may know that one of the biggest challenges for pro se litigants is you've got this universe of procedures that you can be involved in, and you don't always know what to do when. Right, I think there's a study out at University of um, Chicago Kent School of Law a few years ago that showed in order to get from a complaint to, a, uh, to trial where the facts actually matter, you're going to go through close to 200 different filings right, in a case. And so pro se litigants generally have no idea what to do when. Sylvia's job is to take account of what's been filed in a case, the procedural history of a case, and narrow the user's focus, right? So that they can make some good decisions on what to do next, right? We can't tell them uh, what to do, right? For uh, UPL reasons, for sure. We don't wanna get engaged in that, but we can sort of narrow their focus. For instance, if you are at the very beginnings of a case, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to dive into the evidence code, right? Try to understand what's gonna be admissible. At trial, if you are closer to trial, probably a little bit too late to be thinking about dismissing a case. Not always, right? But that, that horse has probably left the barn, right? And so Sylvia's job is just to sort of narrow the user's focus, help them understand the flow of litigation from complaint all the way through an appeal, and to just situate them properly so they can get the most relevant training at the stage
0: they're in. So a user signs up. What's the first thing that courtroom five has the user do? There's an intake process. Uh, pro se litigants
1: find us at various stages of their case. Uh, some folks are thinking about pursuing a claim. Uh, and so they haven't even filed a complaint. There is no action yet. Others have you know, actually lost the case and are considering an appeal. And so we take the user through a quick intake process just to understand where they are. They'll tell us the name of the court. They will tell us um, the type of claim they're dealing with. They will give us contact information on the parties. They even provide a signature to be applied to the filings uh, that they make electronically. They'll give us the procedural history uh, of the case, and they will give us the underlying uh, facts of the case, what we call events for them. Once we've got that information, Sylvia has enough information, again, to just properly locate that user and to point them to the most relevant training. Uh, So they will go and take the recommended training. You generally come out of that with some understanding of what they'd like to file next in their case or at least what to consider. And so they'll go to the library and take the recommended training for that purpose. When they come out of that, they understand, again, what they want to file. We take them through a claims analysis, what you alluded to as our counts tool. And the counts tool gives them a bird's eye view of their case. So they can, they've told us what kind of claim they are and what the jurisdiction is. We can tell them what the elements of that claim are, right? So if you are dealing with a negligence case in Kansas, for instance, well, we want you to understand what is necessary to make a defendant liable, right, uh, for a negligence claim in Kansas. So you'll have the elements of that claim there. Uh, you can attach the underlying events in your case to all of those elements to see if you can support them. You can also attach any evidence you have to those facts, right, Uh, so that when you get to the day of trial, you've essentially got your playbook right there in your accounts tool, but you build it up step-by-step as you move through the case. And you can do that with claims as well as affirmative defenses, all right? And so that's then the second step. Once you know what you wanna file, you go into your claims analysis Users generally come out of that with the position, a legal position that they want to take in the following that they've decided to make. Well, once you've got your legal position, we take you to our laws tool so that you can do your legal research and find legal support for the legal position that you've uh, decided to take. Right? And so we've got courses on how to issue spot, how to do legal research. It's,
0: um, and the, the uh, courses, the, the, a lot of yep. videos, mainly video.
1: Correct. All of them. Almost all of them.
0: Correct. Did you do all that yourself or how did you record the videos or what nuts and bolts behind that? The, yes, they
1: belong to courtroom five. This is original uh, material. Deborah, my co-founder and chief product officer, is primarily responsible for that library of videos and distributing them uh, throughout the platform as well. So,
0: yes. so you're in your law, you're looking for the legal authority to support your, your counsel or affirmative defenses, and then you move to documents, right? You're ready That's to file right. filing stuff.
1: That's right. So we don't take people immediately to documents. Documents is a suite of uh, workflows for pretty much anything you want to file in a civil uh, case, right? But we don't want to take people immediately to that until they've done the claims analysis and found legal support. Uh, for their positions. But once they've done that, then they're ready to take a stab at uh, drafting that document. So they'll select whatever the document is an answer in affirmative defenses, a motion to dismiss, a complaint, all the way through the discovery templates. Your basic notices, um, notice of hearing, notice of filing, all those sorts of things, appellate briefs, whatever the user has decided uh, they want to file. We have a very straightforward workflow that just helps them understand what a judge uh, would be looking for in that filing. right? And so that they can apply the claims analysis, the legal research uh, and the training they've received from the library to that document. They end up with a PDF version. We've already captured information on the parties. Uh, we've got the court name. So your caption, your certificate of service are already pre-prepared. It's even signed for you if you want it uh, to do it that way. Uh, but you get a PDF that is legally styled, ready to file. We also provide electronic filing instructions for you, you know, for your jurisdiction if that's available for you. Uh, and so the user can oftentimes it takes several sessions. To prepare these documents. It's uh, not a uh, one-step process. We've seen users take two or three weeks to prepare a single document, right? But they get a PDF, they can file it. Once they've done that, they come back to Central Console and let us know whether that's actually been filed. They maintain that procedural history right there in their account. And anytime anything changes in the case, well, Sylvia uh, picks up on it and takes them on another cycle
2: around the moon.
0: Interesting. So, Maya, you become involved. When did you become involved?
2: How long ago? I mean, I've informally been involved with Courtroom 5 for years. Uh, I'd say at least two, three years now. Um, but I came on the advisory board officially over the summer.
0: And so when you first became involved, obviously you liked what you saw because it's a very cool product and it's, very, it's satisfying a very important need. What advice or what, what were suggestions you had for Sonia, if anything? I would
2: say a lot of the conversations focused around, you know, prioritizing areas of growth, not only you know types of matters as well as uh, regional and geographic uh, growth. And I think also, I mean, you know, I got a really good look at Sylvia not that long ago, um, as it had really gotten much more powerful. And I think that that actually is going to be probably the course of, of the next few conversations. Um, there's also a lot of discussion about awareness, you know, um, boosting awareness in the kind of the pro se world, you know, the accessibility and affordability and you know existence of something like Courtroom Five. I think that's going to be another big thing that we tackle soon.
0: I assume that you're going to legal aid organizations throughout the country and letting them know that it. It's out there. Is that part of the marketing plan?
2: Well, as it turns out, that is an incredibly complicated um, scenario because uh, legal aid organizations, they have, well, you know, COVID aside, um, you know, when everything kind of turned virtual or shut down, either having clinics or, um, you know, referral services, that kind of thing. And Sonia knows this much better than I do. But as a board member uh, on a couple of them myself, I will say that it's more tricky because uh, they oftentimes subsist almost entirely on grants and the grants have a lot of rules and regulations around what the money can be used for and um, direct referrals to something that is a for-profit organization ultimately is something that, um, you know, we need to find ways to boost awareness without jeopardizing, of course, the really great work that the legal aid organizations themselves are doing. They're just right. overwhelmed, right? I mean, they can't, they can help only a fraction of those who are coming in to, to for help.
0: Interesting. So, Let's get under the hood a little bit. You get the idea to make Courtroom 5. Do you hire developers? What are the first steps? How, how do you go from this idea to this website anyone can go to right now, courtroom5.com, and and start working on a case?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been a long haul, a wonderful uh, journey. It um, you know Looking back, it was really helpful uh, for us that we didn't have a significant amount of capital. I think we would have wasted a good bit of it. We really needed to find the solution to this problem. So the process that I described is a result, continually iterative uh, result of putting a product out, getting customer feedback and understanding how to solve this problem from actual consumers. We are still on that journey. We'll be for a long time. But I think, you know, yes, absolutely. You want to hire developers. uh, You want to hire content uh, writers. Deborah and I did a lot of the architecting Ourselves used our own personal experience to develop the first versions of it, and it's just grown uh, from there. So, we still have a very tiny staff. We do a lot of work through outsourcing, still, right? But we are also in the fundraising mode. We've done a good bit of that and, and are growing, but it's one tiny, careful step at a time. It has also been helpful for us to be in a regulated environment, right? So have uh, things like you know, prohibitions against uh, fee splitting and UPL, right, available to us as guardrails. So it had to be really innovative in solving this
0: problem. How much of your development is outsourced versus your team yourself?
1: Oh, it's a good question. I'd say 100 percent of it is outsourced. I've got a uh, engineering background, but I'm not a coder. Right. right? I can look at it. I can read it. I write a little bit. It's always been preferable for us to have developers. Uh, and so we've got uh, some folks on staff, but again, most of that's for product management and not uh, project management.
0: Understood. So do you're using a dev shop, or are you hiring individual developers? And you and Deborah are kind of running the show
1: we take great advantage of the gig economy. So we found uh, some very talented uh, technical people just over the years, uh, many of whom are still working with us, but um, we haven't brought any on board and we won't until we have a firm idea of what this solution looks like technically.
0: So that's an interesting question. And you say a firm idea. What do you mean by that? What's not firm now?
1: the technical solution. So, you know, as a a user, and again, I'm really grateful that you went and took a look under the hood, the front end, what the user facing solution is going to be the user facing solution, whatever that is, it's continuing to evolve, but primarily on content now. But under the hood, there's a great deal of complexity on how to deliver this product uh, at scale, right? And so the process... Well, you're
0: dealing with 50 plus jurisdictions too, right? That's correct. That's correct.
1: 50 plus jurisdictions. And, you know, I think we can handle that on the content side, but also, you know, 30 million people, ultimately, that we can serve with this product, right? And so we've got to figure out the right database architectures, the right uh, coding platforms, the right artificial intelligence algorithms to use, uh, lots of work to do under the hood there. And so it is helpful for us to just sort of keep the technical talent lean, right, until we are prepared to double down on on the right solution.
0: So you talked about the 30 million potential customers. Do you have any success stories or feedback you've gotten from users that stick out at you and go, ah, this, this makes it all worthwhile? We get testimonials all the time
1: uh, from customers that we've helped. You got to understand most folks, well, let me back up and say courtroom five is primarily designed for more complex cases, right? So we don't recommend it to handle your traffic ticket or your small claims case. We've got folks that are handling medical malpractice, wrongful termination, you know, big debt claims, bankruptcies, contested probate, that sort of stuff. And for those types of users, you know, your alternative is either a Google search trying to find sample pleadings that you can copy or lawyers that will require a $5,000 retainer for the second conversation and then drain uh, whatever life savings you've had. And so to find us for a very modest monthly subscription fee is, as some people have called us, a godsend. Right. Sure. They have to do a lot of work. I've described the the level of work required. It's a do-it-yourself solution to litigation is not an easy task. It's not something you just want to pick up on a weekend, and, you know, and uh, and do as a hobby. But nonetheless, we hear all the time from folks who you know, you saved my kids, right? Access to my kids in custody fights. You helped me uh, stay in my house a lot longer. You know, you saved my inheritance. We hear this sort of stuff all the time routinely, and it keeps us going, I'll tell you, on some very difficult technical and financial days when we know that we are able to serve people in this way. uh, It gives us a good bit more energy to continue doing the
0: work. If you had one piece of advice you would give to a startup founder that's thinking about creating a piece of legal technology that is consumer facing, access to justice facing, what would that one piece of advice be? Talk to customers talk to people
1: actually doing uh, this difficult work on their own. They're not hard to find. I mean, we've spent many, many days and hours at the courthouse, right? Just watching people try to handle these very difficult procedures on their own. They're happy to tell you, uh, to talk to anyone about the experience they're having uh, in the courts. And so... For anybody trying to solve this difficult problem, I make no pretensions, by the way, to having solved it, mind you. We've got a very innovative product in the market, but there's still a lot of people we aren't able to solve. There's lots of room for other innovators to come in and, and try to solve this problem. But you've got to start with the people actually dealing with this uh, on their own. That's the most important piece of advice that I would give anyone.
0: I want to ask this final question to you both. We'll Start with you, Sonia. 10 years from now, what's courtroom five look like? in your best case scenario?
1: Oh, I could go on for hours there. (laughs) Uh, Chad, I'll tell you, you know, as I mentioned before, this isn't easy work for people to do, right? Lawyers go to graduate school to learn how to do this. And, you know, we've provided a process that makes it as easy and transparent as possible for, uh, you know, if you don't have a lawyer. But nonetheless, I think what people really want is a lawyer. Right? Yeah. If you're in legal trouble, what you do is you, you hire a lawyer, even with legal background. Right? Most lawyers would hire a lawyer to handle the matter for them. And people you know, who don't have the wealth or income to hire a lawyer would like the same option. <laughs> They'd like to do the same thing. Right, um, It's the only income that keeps them from doing it. What we're working to do is to make lawyers more accessible to people. The billable hour in our domain is dead. It just is not workable anymore. And so we are working to realize the promise of unbundled legal services to let our technology and the process I've described help people as much as it has. I mean, we've served thousands of people uh, using this technology. But we also think it helps people specify unbundled legal services in a much more powerful way than folks coming in off the street without the legal education we provide. And so our goal is to develop a network of lawyers, consumer-oriented lawyers, who are willing to serve sophisticated pro se litigants on an unbundled basis. We're in the process of building out that capability right now, and so our vision long-term is to change the way consumer law is practiced in the United States and around the world, right? So that many more people have access to lawyers and therefore access to justice.
0: Maya, what's your hope five, 10 years down the road, what's your hope for courtroom five?
2: You know, I mean, I obviously I echo um, what Sonia just stated because I think it, one of the most incredible opportunities here is to be a connector. And so, and I think I would just add to, you know, in, in terms of connecting not only the processes that people can do on their own to um, attorneys when and if they need them um, as they're going through the processes, but also to make sure that obviously awareness is high that that courtroom five is there for, you know, firmly on the side of the pro se litigant. And that kind of the the belief that courtroom five has and channels is that, you know, they can do this. On their own, and that you know, understanding that you know, giving giving folks a boost of confidence to know that this is something that can actually be accomplished um, with some help, whichever levers you choose to pull. But I think part of that is going to entail a really very wide um, acknowledgement and awareness that that courtroom five exists and is something that can actually
0: do the trick. Well, thanks to you both for your time. I really appreciate. It. This is a fascinating story. I, I always love stories where. So many times people just talk about doing stuff, and they don't, they don't do it. And you, you actually went out and did it. I think it's awesome. I think it's an incredible product. I think the sky's the limit for what this can do to shape the type of litigation and the pro se representation that, that's out there. And I'm, I'm really thankful you came on the podcast. And Maya, thanks for connecting us. If people want to learn more, Sonia, where do they learn more about the Courtroom 5 and how do they get a hold of you? Please visit
1: us at courtroom5.com. That's the number 5.
0: Maya, people want to get a hold of you, learn more about you. Where do they find you?
2: Well, you can find me listening into Courtroom 5 uh, media, but also you know on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter at Markovich
0: Maya. Well, that's it for today's episode. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. When you're there, if you like us enough, we hope you'll give us a favorable review. If you want to find me, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at and That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Thanks again for listening. and Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.